Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, January 18th, 2013. Gotta fix that 12 on there, it's tough. This week episode 270 comes to you from Studio D, we're up in Central City, Pennsylvania, cold, snowy, beautiful. At the controls, Roxy V, Val Bender. Hello everyone. Joining us from... Studio C, we've got the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hello, Cliff. Hey, Joe. Hey, Val. Hey, guests. Uh, hey, audience. Good day, Cliff. Uh, we'll have our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, and we're going to have the uh, the watchdog, Pete Consigli, join us here at halftime. Today's segments include the IAQ Radio trivia question. We've got an interview with attorney and syndicated columnist, Dennis Beaver. We have our halftime. We'll bring on the uh, the watchdog, the commish. Um, we'll do a little halftime, and then we'll go back to our interview, and we'll finish with the roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, to listen to the show, go to iaqradio.com. There's a Go to Show button, and then you can either listen live or download the show later. You can also listen to streaming versions of the show right from our homepage on that website, www.iaqradio.com. You can also, of course, download the show from iTunes. Don't forget, we also have continuing education credits available Email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We have uh, credits for ABIH, the IICRC, and the ACAC. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website. We've got our 2013 schedule up. That's at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe.
win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. You can either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations. To John Lapotere, MicroShield Environmental Services, Winter Springs, Florida, for being the first person to answer last week's trivia question by identifying Dr. Forrest Byrd as the World War II American aviator who later studied medicine and is best known as the inventor of the first practical mass-produced medical respirator. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, January 18, 2013, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Learn more about them by checking out their webpage, which is www.trsca.org. Now for today's trivia question. Name the U.S. Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, who also served as a governor of the state of California. Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. Today's guest, Dennis Beaver, a Bakersfield, California resident. He's in the general practice of law. He's an attorney at law. He's a Los Angeles native and a graduate of the Loyola University School of Law at Los Angeles. Began his career as a deputy district attorney in Bakersfield, where he founded the Consumer Protection Division, and as he puts it, when I had hair, become, he became an on-air legal affairs reporter for local television stations. This led to some gigs in talk radio, and all the while he was practicing in private practice. For over 26 years now, he has written a weekly syndicated newspaper column called You and the Law. It provides consumer and legal advice for readers, and his practice is a strong business concentration, and as listeners will note, he likes to tell it like it is. He never won Mr. Popularity in high school. There is a moral obligation of getting paid for the work you do, and it drives him crazy to see good people in the restoration industry shoot themselves in the foot, losing a small fortune due to their own mistakes, oversights, and crooked customers. Not to mention the, what he calls the wimp factor, where the owner is afraid of his own shadow and not realizing the power of the human voice or the value of getting a gutsy lawyer involved at the first sign of trouble. A lot can be done beforehand and later to reduce the chance of becoming a victim of someone who will take your time, your materials, what you pay your employees, and your check. Let's we have some music, right? Let's get some music for that. <laughs> oh, that brings some that that brings some memories there, I'll tell you. All right. Dennis, do we have you on the line? Good morning from California, Bakersfield, California. Right now it's approximately 40 degrees outside, and uh, 
We take that seriously. Cold day for us in wintertime is about 45. Uh, okay. Well, I, do, does that uh, theme song bring back any memories for you there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one thing you forgot about my intro was to say, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Super Beaver. <laughs> no, I was going to say, <laughs> Joe, don't be too hard on the beaver today. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. You know, when I call someone up for the first time, I say, my name's Dennis. Beaver, Dennis like the menace, and beaver like leave it too. It's a chuckle normally. Can't beat it. Can't beat that. Hey, well, let's let's talk a little uh, insurance first, and then uh, we'll get into the legal aspects. But um, let's let's start with bad faith. I remember we we read a lot about. Um, oh, this was ten, twelve years ago. There was the Ballard versus Farmers Insurance, and as I understand it, that. That jury verdict was really a bad faith verdict where other people think that maybe it was um, medical, this and that and the other thing. But it was really, in essence, a bad faith verdict. What is that, Dennis? Yeah, bad faith basically means that in the world of insurance, it means that your insurance company that has an obligation of dealing with you fairly and fairly and properly handling claims is not doing so. And bad faith still exists as a concept. At one time in California, and to some extent in, in some other jurisdictions, uh, you have what's known as third-party bad faith. So let's say I'm XYZ insurance company, and you have a claim, and I am jerking you around. I should have settled it. I should have paid it. I don't. It winds up going to court, and you can establish that I, I was just playing games with you. Uh, I, as the insurance company can be hit for very, very significant damages for bad faith failure to properly handle a claim. Now, at one time, there was third-party bad faith, meaning not just me, I'm the first party to the insurance company, but the, the guy I hit, I, I rear-ended him, or someone who I harmed, who should be protected ultimately under my insurance, the insurance company wasn't doing that, that person had standing ultimately to file a claim alleging bad faith failure to settle, or however it's termed in in variety of states. And this had an extraordinary uh, result on the way claims were handled for a number of years. Settlements were, were, were unbelievably huge where they shouldn't have been, because companies were afraid that if they didn't settle a claim promptly for a certain amount of money, they would get hit for bad faith. So for a number of years in California, uh, you had uh, very minor auto accidents, you know, a $1,000 property damage, property damage you couldn't see, or other property claims, for example, where insurance companies were just handing out money, you know, like Christmas candy, and they realized they were being taken advantage of by my profession. So there were number of, of cases, Supreme Court, California Supreme Court cases, and third-party bad faith was pretty much done away with. It still exists in some states. Uh, it has made lots of lawyers very, very wealthy, not having to take a, a case to court. Uh, but things have pretty much changed, I would say, in general, uh, and insurance companies where they don't have this concept of third-party bad faith uh, are not afraid of plaintiff's lawyers like they once were. You know, would you agree, Dennis, that bad faith are the two words that uh, a policyholder can use if they want to get the, in or would be the best words to, to use to get the insurance company or the adjuster's attention? 
it's a, it can be a very effective tool provided you know what you're talking about and how you, how you phrase it in your written communication uh, or in your oral communication. Yeah, you know, you, uh, listen, you guys have a duty to handle this claim correctly. I have given you all the documentation. I've given you everything you want promptly. What's the reason for the delay? I don't like this, and I don't want to talk in terms of bad faith, but you're forcing me there. So let's try to work together and get this claim settled so I don't have to go to an attorney. You know, in the in the intro, Dennis, we mentioned, um, and I took some of this right from your, uh, your words. You helped us with the bio. You say that um, some owners, I believe it was, don't realize the power of the human voice. Can you expand on that a little bit for us? Yeah, you know, the most... The, the most um, effective tool to accomplish virtually anything in this world is our voice. Voices will lead to the young lady saying, yes, I'll marry you, or absolutely, I'll, I'll hire you, uh, or uh, countries go to war over something that is normally stated verbally, the voice, and how you respect what the power of communication. Unfortunately, especially in industries where uh, remediation, for example, where you're in a in a you know kind of often walking on thin ice, so you feel that way with an insurance company, we get reluctant or afraid of speaking up and saying, "What's going on here?" Of of very uh, forcefully, but not not necessarily negatively and not threateningly calling a spade a spade. Uh, I will tell you, as an attorney in law practice, I, I once dealt with a claim adjuster who, uh, my client was a pharmacy that had three or four employees that were, uh, they had a conspiracy to rip off, you know, take money out of, out of the cash till. Well, of course, as you know, every claim is an incident, and every incident has a deductible. Well, this, this went on for a certain period of time, and the adjuster wanted to term every time they, they took something as a new incident, and therefore there'd be never, there would never be any compensation. Hmm. So I had their own investigator in my office who said, this is total nonsense, on a speakerphone. I'm talking to the adjuster who's in Los Angeles, just like I am right now. And I said, you know, you have, there's a moral obligation here, a legal obligation. What are you doing? And the guy broke down in tears. You could hear him sobbing on the phone. Now, this is amazing, right? I'm over 100 miles away. The next week, and they, they paid the claim, all right? The next week, another adjuster in that office came into ours and said, is Mr. Beaver here? I'd like to meet him. Sure, I step out. You know, I am all a five foot six tall, <laughs> 130 five pounds. He's expecting somebody, you know, 17 feet tall and looks like a gorilla. So it was, it was ultimately, the, it was ultimately the, the strength of my voice, the uh, addressing truly relevant issues, not just the legal. This is morally wrong. What are you doing? And at that time, it was, was extraordinarily effective uh, and uh, an amazing story. Hmm. Cliff? What's the WIMP factor? WIMP factor, uh, you find it all over the place, where the boss is afraid of an employee, where 
the boss is afraid of the insurance adjuster, uh, where you, when you do not establish from the very beginning in a relationship that you know what you're talking about, that you, you are in control of the situation, uh, that you're not going to be jerked around. If you don't establish that immediately, in a polite, business-like manner, in a professional manner, then you are telegraphing to the other side, this guy or gal, I can step all over. And you see it so often. The whim factor shows itself where you have a, uh, a client of yours, you have a homeowner who you get a, you know, we are, human beings are scientists. We make observations, draw conclusions. And the older we are, we should be pretty good at it. Well, you have a gut feeling that I'm going to have problems here. And you make a decision to go forward. But you do not establish a sense of boundaries. Don't screw with me. I'll do my job. You do yours. So the wimp factor shows itself. It can show itself right away. And it often shows itself uh, promptly where there's a problem getting paid. What do you, how do you help it, 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 Is the wimp factor the failure uh, to ask for the money? Or is it the fear of... Yeah, many restoration contractors rely on insurance companies to provide work. You know, are they afraid to uh, get on the wrong side of the insurance adjuster or the company? Or, you know, what are some things you see happen? Oh, you see that all the time, and it's so sad. I mean, it really, it's it really is bothersome. You see it all the time, where the uh, the company, uh, you know, service master, serve for whoever it might be, whatever the company is, they are afraid they're, they'll either be cut off or they're afraid of upsetting the, uh, the, the adjuster, and consequently they allow themselves to be stepped on. If you, if you begin a relationship in a, in a very professional way, in a very strong way, and you make it clear that you're going to do your part, but you need their help, you need them to do their part. And if and at the first sign of a problem, it needs to be addressed. You know, I, I will tell you, across a, a law practice, of that uh, I've been in private practice many years, and you learn things, and you learn ways of enlisting the help of somebody. For me, I call up, let's say, let's say uh, you owe my client money. And I call up and I say, hi, Joe, this is Dennis Beaver. And I need your help. I need your help. Now, when, you, when you, someone asks you that, what is your immediate reaction? Well, what are you generally going to say? How can I help? Yeah, how can I help? <laughs> That's a reflexive response. And you say that before even thinking about it. You're in a doctor's office, right? You're there because you feel horrible. Doctor comes in, oh, hi, Joe, how are you feeling? What do most people say? Oh, wonderful, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, why are we here? Okay. So, so, um, if you are able to, in, to get the person to articulate that, sure, how can I help? i tell you, there's a problem here I'm trying to deal with, and let me tell you what it is, and I, I may, my understanding may be wrong, but, but I, I need your help in trying to resolve the situation. So if you kind of turn this upside down frequently, you are, what you are doing is you are, uh, you, know, you are kissing the adjuster on each cheek, being nice to that person, not in a non-threatening way, and uh, uh, you are illustrating to that person that you know there's a problem and that 
you need their help in resolving it, it's a subtle message that if they don't resolve it, things can get worse. That's not going to work at all times, of course not. But so the so the whim factor is being afraid and making it obvious that you are afraid with the, with the insurance company or with uh, with your own employees or with the, with your customer. You know, I, there's a question here, and it's what is a time received stamp, and why and when is it important? that insurance repair contractors receive these stamps on their contract documents. Yeah, contract documents are such a, such a huge issue, such an enormous issue. Uh, time received obviously means when that thing came into your office. Now, it also is going to imply that somebody looked at it and examined it. That's what you would, you would typically extract from that as, as a conclusion. What I find with so many businesses, not just remediation, but across the board, is that everybody's trying to get new work, but they don't pay careful enough attention to getting paid or to the details, of the, the, just, the, just the, the, the minutia of having contact, contracts properly signed and dated, uh, uh, keeping uh, obvious fa- facts confirmations, things show that it went out. Uh, so th- this is part of part of the secret of getting paid on time. If you can establish that it went out or when it was received, you, you put together a chronology. You know, documents tell a story, and that's that's one element of the story. And this stamp is that just something that you go to the post office and say, hey, "I want," you know, how you can have people sign for registered mail or whatever. Is that yeah, something? Yeah, absolutely. Or with a fax machine, typically, if you have it adjusted properly, you make sure when we go from daylight savings to to, to standard time, you have it changed right. That can be viewed as a as a time stamp. Uh, someone who is signing a, a contract in your office, you can put down their date and time. Uh, it's, it it. it can be important uh, for, uh, for certain contracts. When I send an email, would you suggest having a, um, a reply sent? You know how you can put uh, check off that um, they should. Uh, what is it? Uh, notify you if they've received this or not. I guess you, you can you, you can you can do that. Uh, there are ways, of course, of uh, with certain email systems of establishing a sent back to you that yes, it was opened. Right. Right. Uh, and email is one very effective tool. But, of course, with email, unless you can prove they got it, then uh, I sent it, I never got it. Yep. yep. So that's why having that you know, response attached there that they have to check off that they got it. Now, that doesn't mean they necessarily looked at the um, attachment that you put on there, I guess. That's correct. That's exactly right. And that, that's, why, uh, that's why back to just attention to detail so important. And what I find uh, almost a common denominator to remediation problems and getting paid is that someone didn't have a page signed in a proper way. Uh, or your staff, your employees can be your absolute worst enemy. And I, um, if you want to talk about this now or later, but as I indicated to you uh, in one of, the, one of the cases I handled was last year for a remediation company, they had a nightmare of an employee who was their own worst enemy, and they knew it, and they knew it, and she wound up costing them thousands of dollars. Should I talk about that now, or you want to discuss sure, that ahead, later? Yeah, this was an interesting, interesting fact situation. Bakersfield is a town of about three hundred and fifty thousand, and I've been here 
long time. So you know lots of people. You know who's responsible, you know who's a flake, you know who's in trouble. So briefly, it's a, a company that is in the office machine business, and they had a, they had a water damage claim. Hire my client. My client comes out, begins doing all kinds of work, there's plenty of insurance, but we do not get proper contracts signed. It's a it's a an absolute nightmare. And the office manager is fully aware that these contracts haven't been signed correctly. Is concretely aware of it, takes no steps at all to address it. They have an assignment of you know, benefits like with like with health insurance, you know, the direction to the insurance company to pay the remediation company, which is uh, improperly filled out and and useless because of the failure to cross the T's, dot the I's. Again, the office manager is fully aware of it. So the check goes, of course, to the company, to the business. They are in deep financial trouble. And they, of course, what do they do? It's payable to them. They cash the check. Months go by. Why haven't we been paid? The boss asks and eventually finds out. And then roughly six months later, they come in to see me, all of which traceable to the office manager who was standing behind the door when brains were passed out. (laughs) And she runs all this stuff by me and my paralegal, and I cannot believe what I'm hearing. She says, oh, well, you know, they have problems. I'm sure they'll pay us. They have, they have problems, and you are sure they, they will pay us? Whose side are you on? <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here controlling myself and not screaming at her. Let me take that back. I was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's as if, it's as if uh, I'm looking at kind of like a Barbie doll, and she's, she's not that pretty. Um, no reaction. Just this, this, this blank sympathy for the bad guy face. Unbelievable. I get the owner of the office machine company on the line, and I tell him, you know, he knows me because it's a small town. I said, it's my understanding that uh, you cashed their check. It was payable to you. You know, we represented money for them, and you spent the money. Well, yeah, that's true. We had some problems. But I'll take care of it. I know I will. Yeah, but you've been saying that for quite a while, is my understanding. So I got a deal for you. What you did was ultimately, can ultimately be viewed as theft of their money. Now, I'm not going to do anything right now. You know what I could do, but I'm not going to do anything right now. Here's what I want from you. I want this to be paid within a month, so much a week. If you do that, we're all nice boys and girls. If you don't, you know exactly the steps I could take. And he agreed. (laughs) He agreed. And he paid it within two to three weeks. Of course, it wouldn't have happened had I not got the guy on the phone. Now, what was I actually saying? And this is important for, for our listeners. You cannot threaten to take somebody to the police if they don't pay a bill. That's blackmail. That's extortion. So I used language that was very clear in non-specific language, very, very non-specific language, not, not threatening, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I sent him a letter, of course, advising that what he had done and confirming his commitment. So this is why, it is, it, you know, don't take the law into your own hands, don't play a lawyer, because you could wind up getting yourself in trouble. 
Now, there's an interesting uh, ending to this story. I got them all of their money, and it took me a couple of hours of my time. Not a lot. You know, I, I don't, didn't bill on a percentage basis. It didn't take a third of it or anything like that, because that would really hurt them, and I want to hurt my client. So I sent them a bill, and I don't hear anything. I sent them a bill, another bill, and I don't hear anything. And I call them up. I said, where is my check? How come I'm not paid? Oh, well, it's not that we don't want to pay you. We just can't right now. You just can't right now? I got you the, the money. I should have been the first check you guys wrote. Wow. I got a deal for you. I expect somebody in my office tomorrow morning with my check by 10 o'clock. And sure enough, 10 o'clock in the morning, and they came with my check. Hmm. So that illustrates, and I told the owner of the company, I said, you realize you have ultimately a, a dangerous person working for you, and you have known about her attitude and her sympathy for your clients who aren't paying you. Why is she there? Good example of the wimp factor. That's what I was thinking. Very good example of the wimp factor right there. Cliff? Uh, Dennis, uh, before we go to our break, can you tell our listeners uh, what the term conflict of interest uh, means to people in the cleaning and restoration or indoor environmental uh, remediation business? Yeah, a conflict of interest means that a person who is a decision maker to hire and fire or or sign a contract uh, has a an interest, a personal financial interest of some type uh, in the outcome of this decision, so that that so that his or her decision is influenced by gain for themselves or they know somebody. They're not acting in a in a neutral, detached manner. And you see it all over the place. Every state has rules for elected officials dealing with conflict of interest. Uh, and sometimes it, sometimes it can be very subtle. Generally, it's pretty obvious. And uh, the smaller the community, the smaller the town, the fewer the people competent to run government, to run business, the more you see conflicts of interest. Does that, does that help answer your question? And, you know, I think what we'll do, we have to break, we have to thank our sponsors, and uh, we're going to bring Pete on to say hello. And when we come back, I'd like to go into more about conflict of interest when it comes to disaster restoration projects, third-party indoor environmental professionals, etc. We'll be back in just a minute with our guest, Mr. Dennis Beaver, attorney at law and syndicated columnist. Before we come back, though, let's thank our sponsors. Thanks to our association sponsors, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.org. 
N-A-D-C-A.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleancleanfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview with attorney Dennis Beaver. Before we get started, let's say hello to Pete Consigli. Hello, Pete. How you doing, guys? Very hey. good. Good Good to have you. What's cooking, Pete? What do you think? Uh, well, it's just great listening to Dennis. I, um, you know, I've worked, I work with him on... Uh, uh, his view in the in the law column that he has in the Hartford Sentinel, and, and this is how we kind of got hooked up. And um, that little story, Dennis, which he just told uh, about the office manager and the uh, monkey business with the check, was actually, I think, the experience where he, he uh, found me through googling on uh, some some articles I had done with RIA, and that led us to uh, doing some collaboration. And I think uh, for the second half of the interview, a couple of things I'd love to have them address would be one, uh, Dennis, talk a little bit about that story about the angels showing up in the middle of the night because all the stories are nightmares. And I think it's important that the listeners know that, uh, you know, with, uh, with um, you know, the right angles and attitudes and uh, situations that, you know, uh, you can have, you know, successful uh claims handling, I think that would be terrific. And then the other thing is just to uh, maybe, and I think Cliff might have some questions related to this, but kind of address the fact of uh, our companies, uh, whether they're independent consultants types, a lot of those type listeners on the show, restoration contractors, if you get involved in a potential lawsuit, you get served, and um, you think you're going to be deposed, uh, have to deal with expert witnesses, this kind of stuff. You know, maybe you can just give a couple of pointers uh, to the audience of, uh, you know, how to deal with that. And uh, I think that'd probably be helpful. Anyway, looking forward to the rest of the interview, and I'll uh, see you guys uh, during the roundup. Well, thank you, Pete. The industry watchdog, Pete Consigli. Let's let's go ahead and go. Why don't we, um, Dennis? Do you mind answering that now? Yeah, let's let's take the last part of the of Pete's question. Uh, first, and I want to thank Pete. Uh, my uh, interview with him, which led to a couple of columns, was just to uh, talk about meeting a, a guy who's really terrific. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, all my conversations with him, and it's so it's really exciting. And talking with you guys, dedicated 
you know your business and you're out to help, and that is just such a such a cool thing. Um, you're going to be deposed. There is a lawsuit. There's some something resulted after uh, a job you worked on. Maybe you're not uh, being sued, but you are a witness to something that happened. And my God, I'm going to go to a deposition. I'm afraid. What do I do? Well, you got to understand what a deposition is. It basically is a statement that you're going to be giving. A deposition means a statement, and you are going to be at a lawyer's office typically with the, the various parties. Attorneys will be there. The parties might be there. A court reporter will be there, or it might simply be done electronically. That's more common now. And they're going to ask you questions about your connection with the event. Preparation is so critically important. You need to review all of your documentation, all of your records, so you have a pretty good grasp of what happened. And if you, to back up just a, a, an enormous step backwards, um, notes, memos, uh, dictating, uh, and maybe even just keeping a flash drive, uh, which are cheap enough now where you can buy them you know, very inexpensively, a, a whole bunch of them, uh, a summary of, uh, if it's a, kind of out-of-the-ordinary type of a, of a job. You know, what happened? Who said what? There are problems that happened on the case, so you are able to you keep a verbal record, a going record of, of events that took place. So you want to review everything. You want to know what happened. The dates are important. Who you dealt with? Who said what? If you have never been into a deposition before, it's a good idea to sit down with an attorney. You, you may not have a business lawyer for you generally should, but you may not, all right? So somebody you know knows a lawyer, and you want an attorney who's not out to, you know, charge you a small fortune for a couple of hours, maybe an hour of, of, of education for a deposition. You want someone who who tells it like it is, who can train you, educate you. Here's what a deposition is. The worst thing you could do at a deposition is to look like you'd don't know what you're talking about, or you're making stuff up as it goes. All of us have memories that have holes in them over one episode or another, and nothing helps like the truth. You know, I really don't remember. This happened, you know, two or three years ago. I looked over my notes. I would love to answer that question, sir. I just can't. Your credibility is really, really important. Um... You know, you look at the person who's asking you the question. There are all kinds of, of pointers, which we don't have the time for right now. But, but um, you know, this is a uh, – you're having a conversation with a couple of lawyers and other, other people about an event. Your task is to, as accurately as you can, tell them what happened, what you saw. And without being judgmental, just, just what, what were the facts, you know. Um, you can research online. There's so much material online right now. There's a you know, gold mine of stuff online. If you say, just type in Google, what is a deposition? How do I behave at a deposition? What should I wear? Uh, if you are a person whose appearance has raised a few eyebrows, clean yourself up. Uh, you, because we communicate verbally and nonverbally. Does that uh, help provide an answer for the question, Pete? It does. I think Pete's um, muted right now, but we can bring him back. But uh, let me ask a quick one. I have a buddy who was in for a deposition, and he um, he came. I was getting ready to go for one. He said, Joe, 
whatever you do, just go slow and really pronounce your words properly. Because when I read back my def my deposition, I, I felt like the hillbilly from the hills of, um, you know, well, he's from West Virginia. So from West Virginia, he said, I was so embarrassed by what I said. Now, I was thinking to myself, okay, that's embarrassing for you. But does that really hurt him or hurt the hurt the case? No, the, the accents, uh, America is a one, an amazing country, and, and the charm of, uh, of we as a people are our regionalisms. And, you know, you come from the South or wherever it might be. Uh, there's nothing wrong. I tell you now, you, t- you sound a little bit like that. That's wonderful. Uh, that, that, that's where you all came from. Okay, okay. I thought it was just his own kind of uh, pride but, that was injured more so than his case. But rather, rather what, is, what is important, not, not one's accent, but do you have respect for language? Do you pay, take the time, the, the effort to, to sp- try to speak clearly? That's important. I would like to ask you a question, not, I want to ask you a question. No, that will hurt you. Okay. That will hurt you. Uh, so, you, you know, you want to, you, you don't, be who, don't become somebody who you are not. To realize what you say is going to be typed, put into a, a pamphlet type form, booklet type form. If you, if your speech is sloppy, if the lawyers are saying, "I'm sorry, could you please repeat? I couldn't understand you." Slow down is good advice. Please try to pay attention to pronunciation. So he gave you good advice. Okay. Well, let's go back to that. Um, we were talking about conflict of interest, and this becomes a a big issue in in the mold remediation business more than in the disaster restoration business, at least in my experience. In disaster restoration, I rarely see these third-party indoor environmental professionals called out on you know your everyday water damage restoration project. But in the mold remediation business, it seems to me that's become and becoming, even through state law, a very common thing, and I'm, I'm wondering if you have any general comments on, on why that is or, or what your thoughts are on the conflict of interest uh, with, respect, with respect to third-party indoor environmental professionals, consultants. Um, I think that part of it will deal with how, the, how they got there, who sent them out, so that, uh, and, you know, and it goes back to, the, to your insurance contract. Many insurance contracts, depends upon where you are, various states, have the the adjuster, the company has the right to select the person who's going going to come out and at least inspect the property, maybe even do the work. So that, of course, if they're in the pocket of the insurance company or the adjuster, that creates an, an, a potential for conflict of interest. But can you give me a fact situation where, where you felt or someone felt there was a conflict of interest issue? Well, let me try to handle it from that perspective. Well... I get this all the time that I get, you know, if people get called out on a mold remediation project, then there are actually industry standards that really the, the IICRC has an industry standard that pretty much, uh, you know, ties your hands to use a third-party indoor environmental professional when you're doing a mold remediation project. And, and some state laws require that as well. But a lot of times the building owner doesn't want to pay the cost of that third-party indoor environmental professional that they would be hired by the building owner and the building owner just says to the contractor look i trust you i i hired you i believe that you'll do the job properly and i don't need this third party to come in and uh, oversee your work any 
Do you have any overall advice for people in that situation? That is going to be so dependent upon, uh, clearly, if there's an issue with state law, you've got to follow, you have to follow state law. But this is where a good relationship with the adjuster is so important. Uh, and if, if you're dealing with a credible company, uh, they should have a stable of competent people. So merely because they say we, we, we want to use A, B, C, or D does not per se mean it's a conflict of interest. Cliff, did you have a follow-up? I, I'd get, I would get worried if they said, you know, we exclusively uh, only use one person and you don't have the right to have any input. Because in, in many cases, in many, many policies, many states, you do have a right to, to select the person you want who otherwise needs to be properly licensed and, and qualified. Um, and I know time is, uh, is precious for the program. Let me answer. Uh, Pete asks about a, an angel, a midnight angel case. And I don't want to give the impression that I'm sitting here beating up on insurance adjusters, on claims adjusters, because that would not be accurate. Uh, this was around the time I was, uh, I was doing my interviews with Pete for my, for my articles last year. Uh, and as is often the case, I will... Uh, one, one column comes out, and then before the next one comes out, a reader will say, you know, this is what happened to me. Or, or in, in asking around, I will be put in touch with someone who just happens to have a fact situation that dovetails with, with what I'm writing about, which is what happened here. And this was a, I believe this was in Visalia, uh, and it was an elderly couple that had a water damage claim, uh, and the adjuster, I'm, I'm I have not read this in quite a while, but if I'm not mistaken, um, the adjuster was absolutely, I, I think it was Allstate, but I'm, I can't swear to that. Um, the adjuster was so amazingly helpful to this elderly couple. I think they were retired teachers uh, sitting at the kitchen table at something like midnight or 2 o'clock in the morning. they just come back from a trip, and it's a disaster. Uh, had a, arranged for a hotel for them, uh, took them by the hand to to provide the, the most just the most exceptional uh, loving care, and I really mean that uh, for this elderly couple. And I got this wonderful email or, or a phone call uh, from uh, from the couple saying, "I just want to let you know that uh, I, I was treated like the TV commercials say they t- they take care of people, and indeed they were." So. In my experience, uh, most of the, um, you know, a lawyer is only going to see typically nightmares and, and problems. But uh, I've had a number of, of adjusters as clients, and I hear a lot of really good stories. So I certainly don't want to give the impression that you know, all claims adjusters are a bunch of jerks and they're, and they're out there to take advantage of the public or deny them what they're entitled to. I don't think that's the case. I think that most do try to do a credible job. And I think that's that, that's the fact situation that Pete was was talking about. It was a very touching story and a very very a story with a real happy ending. We'll bring him back to comment on that during our roundup here, Dennis. Let me get back to to Cliff. I know he had a few questions he wanted to make yeah, sure we got. I, I to. do, Dennis. One of the things that happens is some of the larger uh, franchised or networked insurance restoration contractors have agreements with insurance carriers 
whereby uh, they get large volumes of, of business you know, for their franchisees and, and for this network. In return for that, oftentimes they will make price concessions and actually you know, have a price list. Uh, this service is X amount of dollars. This material is X amount of dollars and, and so on and so forth. And what oftentimes happens is that, you know, in a place like Bakersfield, for instance, it's not that big of a, you know, it's not that big of a market. And, you know, there may, an insurance company may only have one or two preferred contractors. And a claim occurs. And, uh, you know, when the claim occurs, they decide that uh, they have a friend, they have a relative uh, who's told them that a restoration contractor uh, provides excellent service and, uh, you know, good workmanship, and unfortunately, this person is not in the network. You know, he's not the preferred contractor. And uh, pricing uh, occurs when the adjuster says, well, we're only going to pay this much, and we're only going to pay this much, and the, their contractor, the, the, the policy holder has selected, doesn't have the benefit of getting this volume of work, but is asked to perform the work for the same price that uh, you know, the volume contractor receives. And I think in certain situations, this can be a dilemma for both the policyholder and their, and their choice of contractor. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I fully agree with you. Depending upon uh, various states or, or the contracts, uh, the insurance contracts, uh, which is the kind of like the, the Bible that the parties operate under, uh, it, it creates a real a real issue. And then you wonder, you say, okay, uh, I'll, I'll hire this guy. He has to agree in writing to accept what the preferred provider would would be paid. Is he going to do a competent job? Raising all kinds of questions. Uh, can, he be, can, he be, can he be qualified? Can he become the preferred provider? Um, this is you know, back to the same thing with auto repair shops and on and on it goes. Uh, and this, in, this can also create issues of conflict of interest where the, where the, uh, the mold guy doesn't necessarily want to do eh, 100% of what should be done because he knows full well that if the bill gets too big, the adjuster is going to question it. There's really no real easy answer here at all, except, however, back to our most important persuasive tool, and that is our voice. This is where the homeowner, and not not all homeowners, very few homeowners uh, have experience with claims, don't know what to do, don't know what their rights are, don't know the power they have. They should consider retaining an attorney or a consultation with a lawyer, sometimes a phone call. Or a letter is all it takes. And there you see the parting of the Red Sea, and things happen and change in a very positive way. So they could just stand their ground, essentially. I mean, they, they're the ones that have the choice of the contractor, I guess. Now, But as Cliff's saying, they get kind of put in a, a tough position where the insurance adjuster is suggesting they go another route. Uh, but ultimately... I guess it's it's their their choice, um, and they just have to you know it goes back to the wimp factor. They've got to stand up for for themselves. Um, is that does that sound accurate, Dennis? It does. I wonder what does the what does the contract say? Uh, what what does state law say concerning these issues? I have found 
that where you make a reasonable argument and the the contractor that is not on the approved list, the rates are not that abnormally different. Uh, I found uh, there a lot of latitude. Adjusters have the ability to waive a requirement of being on the on the list and can say, okay, fine. Um, but it's, it's going to require very strong, uh, reasoned, proper argument from the homeowner. But it's, you're right, you're, it's, it's a real issue. Cliff? Go ahead, Joe. Okay. I, I was... You know, we were talking about these uh, third-party service providers, and I'm, I'm curious because a lot of times these people were hired by the building owner, and then I'm wondering if, if um, the building owner hires me, let's say, as a consultant on their water damage project. In fact, I've got a buddy who just did one the other day. A, um, a property owner called him to go in and just take a look and see if the disaster restoration contractor had done a good job. Now, he's going to write a little report for that building owner. I'm curious, who gets copies of that report, or who decides who gets copies of that report or work product? What is the purpose of this? If there's some question that the job was not done properly, is that the issue? Yes. Uh, this is where you darn well better have an attorney involved, because you don't want to get into the area of defamation. So that... Uh, you know, you if if there if you can point objectively point to shortcomings, to failures to perform uh, below the standard of care, perhaps a violation of state law, needs to be absolutely uh, documented. And that uh, you know it depends on what stage it is. Does the job have to be redone? Uh, who picked the uh, re- who picked the remediation person? If the insurance company said we're going to use this company and that company did a lousy job, then you're in a redo situation. So who should get the report? It would, it would, say, it would seem to me that the adjuster, perhaps a claim supervisor, should get the report. But, but it's got to be, it has to be very, very carefully drafted so that you don't uh, get accused or sued for defamation. And I'll give you an example. A number of years ago, I had a case of a home inspector who did not, even stick his head up into the attic. We don't have real attics here. People don't live there, warn you. But, you know, you push the board aside and look up there with a flashlight. Had he done it, he would have found, uh, he would have found Rube Goldberg jury rig pipes and uh, just crazy stuff. Writes his glowing report. People move in. Two months later, pipes burst. Horrible flood. And for whatever reason, uh, State Farm wasn't covering most of it. And, uh, the um, uh, thing, the thing gets on a on, on a television sta- station. Action reporter comes out there, interviews people. The home inspector who did a horrible job winds up suing everybody involved, hmm. including the arbitration company. It was a mess, right? So these are things that can be can blow out of control very very quickly. That's why I think of the D word, not. Big D is in Dallas, but defamation. Hmm. That's an interesting call. I, I didn't look at it that way. That's an interesting point of view. Let's go to our roundup here, Dennis. We've got to get, uh, I didn't realize, but we're running a little low on time. Uh, can you stay an extra five minutes if we run over? I can stay as long as you would like me to. Great. 
All right, let's go to the roundup. We'll come back with attorney Dennis Beaver. We'll talk a little more on insurance and uh, legal issues with respect to disaster restoration. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Okay, here's the way I want to I'll go about this, Cliff, if it's all right with you. I want to get Pete back on, make sure he, he helped us get Dennis on, see if he has any final comments or questions. And then, Cliff, I know you may have one. I wanted to get you a chance, and then we'll bring Dr. Wow on. And if we have time, I'll, uh, I'll ask one more. Let's. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, good. All right, let's go with Pete. The commish, we got you back. The watchdog. Hey, thanks, guys. I'll be quick because I know you're running late. I want to get Dieter on there, too. Um Dennis, when you asked me the question did, at halftime, did, did, I, did he answer the deposition? I mean, the answer to that is you could do a whole show, a whole seminar on depositions. I mean, I think he addressed it, and uh, he gave good information. Um, I, I also uh, think that a lot of the stuff that Dennis is getting into and the questions and where you're all going, one of the suggestions, uh, Joe and Cliff, that I had given you when we got Dennis involved with the show was to consider – you know, I don't know, sometime later in the year, four, five, six months from now, bringing him back potentially in collaboration with previous guests that you had on some similar topics, and you can expand on it. A uh, guy like Peter Croster in particular, independent insurance adjuster, I I, uh, uh, I think uh, I, I hooked him up with Dennis because Dennis had some specific issues he wanted to talk to an adjuster, and possibly Peter may collaborate on a column with him and uh, you and the law. And I think as the storyline builds, around the expertise of the legal, the insurance, um, that dealing with the, the, uh, the claims and all the different parties that are involved, um, they can share the lessons learned with the audience, uh, you know, both the good, the bad, and the ugly. And um, anyway, so that's something to kind of keep in mind. Anyway, Dennis, uh, enjoyed the interview, guys. Uh, terrific job. And um, anyway, turn it back to you. Uh, uh, be very interested in, uh, in what comments Dieter has from his perspective that uh, Dennis and you guys can address. Great job, guys. Thanks, Pete. And uh, let's go. Cliff, did you have any final thoughts or questions you want me to bring? Yeah, to I, 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 ju- I just had one. And really, um, you know, it's, I, I guess, is trust an appropriate word to describe the relationship between a policyholder and their insurance carrier? Yeah, that is the absolute last word in the world you want to use. Hmm. The last word in the world. I do not trust, and I'm not saying I mistrust. Rather, you need to approach the adjuster as, in, in an agnostic way, I neither believe nor disbelieve, but recognize who does the adjuster work for. And it's not you. The adjuster works for the insurance company. What's the adjuster's objective? To save the insurance company money. Does the adjuster care about you? Not really. Most of them do not. Now, some, like the situation I described earlier, is an exceptional adjuster. But you can argue that the adjuster was doing everything that was supposed to be done, but in this case, it was, it was really exceptional. No, uh, I don't trust insurance adjusters. I don't trust insurance companies. They are out to save themselves money, and if they can not pay their claim the way it should be handled, and they get away with it, they'll do it. They will do it time and time again, which is why you 
frequently need to at least have a consultation with an attorney uh, early on. Thank you. All right, let's get Dr. Wow on. Yeah. Welcome good back. Good afternoon, everybody, or good day, everybody. <clears throat> and I have uh, two two subjects. Uh, uh, one is on depositions. I have been in many, many depositions. <clears throat> and Dennis mentioned that. It is just unbelievable. I was uh, about a year and a half ago in a deposition that had something to do with memos and uh, letters I wrote 35 years ago. Wow. 35 years ago, some of them I saw, and I immediately, as though I wrote them yesterday, and others, they were dated, and there were names in it, and details in it. I looked and said, I have no idea who that is, why I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable what happens up there in our brain. Uh, the other thing that kind of hooks in here, and I have been asking that I work with a ton of lawyers. That's ninety percent of my 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 involvement with work is with lawyers. Nothing against lawyers, obviously. Uh, is um, uh, uh, I make a, hypoth a hypothetical, and we talked about it. Somebody calls me and said, Dieter, I hear you are the best guy in the world, and I want to hire you because I noticed in my house, uh, in my bedroom, uh, next to the shower, there is a huge mold problem. Can you come and tell me what to do and how bad it is and all of that? Okay, I come and I said, yep, this and this and this and this. Am I, and I leave the house. And I said, yep, you need help over here with this and this and this, and I know somebody who can help you. The next question is, should I have, you mentioned that, should I have gone into the attic, even though there was no obvious sign that there was water intrusion from the top, should I have been down in the basement and in the garage where one reasonably could expect some water intrusion and some mold? Can somebody say they have got... Uh, error and omissions, somebody said, hey, you are a professional, even though you were hired for that one room, you, you, you have seen so many houses, you know where the points are, should I have done that one also? That is a hypothetical. Good question, Dieter. Dennis? Yeah, he raises a good point. Clearly, if you have evidence that says, hmm, maybe we should open that door, and you don't, then someone uh, may argue that this was you fell, fell below the standard of care. It was indeed a malpractice. It was indeed a, an, an omission. You know, you want to err on the side of being as thorough as thorough as you possibly can. Uh, and and then you know, but you Dieter, you had a really good point about. I wrote that 30 years ago. I never. Who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> Our memories are fragile things, indeed. And like the, 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 the other thing was, there was another one. He said, oh, no, I know exactly. I know what the guy looks like. He had a mustache. He had a blue suit on. <laughs> I knew that exactly what was there. It's amazing. And I have another question. That is, and you touched on that. It happened to me. It's no big deal. I had a, a tiny car accident. At basically on a red light, somebody bumped into me uh, uh, from the back onto the left 
right uh, on the left of the rear fender anyway. There was a little dent in there. I mean, it, the whole thing happened at 0.01 miles per hour. So there was you know, nothing to write home about. Well, I went to the dealership from which uh, uh, I uh, bought the car. And they said, oh, yeah, we have a repair shop. And I make up the numbers, but they are reasonably close. They are not the exact number. I don't have it in front of it. That happened two years ago. And the garage from the dealership said, oh, yeah, we fixed it for $1,000. It so happened that I ran into a friend of a friend of mine who is an expert at that stuff. He does repair stuff. He has a, a, a repair shop that's unbelievable. And he looked at it, and I said, you know, this, these guys want to charge me a thousand bucks for it. That is ridiculous. And he looked at it and said, Dieter said, I can do that for you for 200 bucks. And this is the, 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 approximately these numbers are right. So the insurance company knew about that, that bump over there and they knew that they were liable for a thousand dollars. I have $500 deductible. So therefore, uh, uh, they were liable for $500. So I called them. I said, look, fellows, I was in a hurry over there. I had to wait. This guy literally did it the next day, and I paid him $200. And, uh, you know, I saved you, a I saved you $800. said, why don't you pay the $200 and we call it even? Well, you know what their answer was. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yep. Sure. Okay. And, uh, yeah, that is ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I can live without the $200. <laughs> the whole but, point. And, that's the, and that's the point. That's where you talk about first-party bad faith, right? Yeah. That where you say, you know, I, here's what happened. I saved you the money. Uh, if you don't pay this, you are inviting a lawsuit for third-party bad faith. And I will, uh, first-party bad faith. And I will do it. And, and the odds are you will get that check because it'll, it'll go to somebody who has the common sense to say, you know something, the guy saved us a bunch of money. How, what would this look like in small claims court or elsewhere? Yeah, in fact, I, I had an adjuster come out. Say, well, we have to see that one. Uh, it, I'm looking at the car right now, and if I wouldn't have told you where it is, uh, yeah, there's no way you can. I mean, it's professionally done. There was not a guy with a hammer and a little spray can and, 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 and did it, you know. <laughs> Uh, well, I, well, it's too late now, and I really don't care, and I, uh, I, I do care. Uh, I, I don't like to get screwed. Nobody likes to get screwed or taken advantage of. And uh, so, well, what the heck. No. But these are things, I mean, you got to watch out with these damn insurance companies. And you said it three times, four times today. These guys are in business to make money. They are not in, in, in business to give you money. They are not your friend. They are anything but. If you approach them with that with that understanding, no, don't be don't be not nice. You want to be professional. You want to be polite. Oh, oh, oh I, I was polite, very polite. I <laughs> talked and I talked to the super duper adjuster. I said, "Look, sir, I'm very very reasonably." I told him the same story that I told you. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted a thousand. I did it for two hundred. Why don't you pay it and we are even? Yeah. You, know, you made money. You made eight hundred dollars, <laughs> and you could have a huge amount of fun in small claims court by naming them individually, dragging them into court, 
And then uh, somebody says, stop, stop, we'll pay, we'll pay. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis, I have to hire somebody who likes to do that. I don't like to do those things, and I'm too old for that and hell with it. <laughs> now we know how you would have handled it, though. Hey, listen. Yeah, we... but Benny, I let you go back, and uh, in fact, I have something important to do. I have a tennis game at 1.30, oh, my time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, as always, for joining us, Dieter. Let's let's go to Val. You have the fa- I'm going to let you uh, put the f- final question in here, Val. Yeah. Um... Okay. Dennis, we'd like to ask our guests to provide their contact info or a website, and also if you have a final comment you'd like to add. Yeah, let me say this. Uh, My column is called You and the Law, and it is carried by a number of Lee Enterprise newspapers closest to where I live. It's the Hanford, H-A-N-F-O-R-D, Hanford Sentinel. Matter of fact, we have listeners that have kids, right? Um, This Saturday's column, which which is online tomorrow morning, it's part two. Part one, just Google Dennis Beaver Mama. Dennis Beaver Mama. <laughs> Dealing with a family of, of enablers who got their 21-year-old kid because of the family's idiocy in trouble. Part two comes out tomorrow. Very unexpected, interesting ending to part one. Uh, and if you Google, Google Dennis Beaver you and the law, you'll come up with a bazillion uh, columns of that nature. I'm in Bakersfield, California. Uh, and you can find my email uh, on, on any of the columns. And I'm d- delight, delighted to speak to any of uh, any of your listeners from wherever they might may call. They can speak to me in English, in French, or in Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> no Cantonese, though, right? <laughs> no, that my wife will tell you I'm not that bright. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. This is uh, Joe Hughes, Radio Joe, saying hey, thanks so much, Dennis. Beaver, uh, for joining us today. I, I had a great time, really enjoyed it, and I think we got some great information for the listeners. So hopefully we'll take uh, Pete's advice and get you back here in about six months, maybe with Peter Crossa. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for contacting me. All right. Our pleasure. And this is uh, the Radio Joe and Val. Good hey, job, engineer. Good <laughs> uh, thank you. Of course, thanks, Z-Man. All's well. It's a pleasure. Things good back in in, uh, in McKee's Rocks there. I hope uh, hope you're staying warm. I want to thank uh, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, but most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. We'll be back. Oh, by the way, next week we've got Dr. Janet Stau. Uh, we're going to talk Legionnaires' disease, and that uh, is a big, big topic, and it keeps. Uh, Things keep uh, showing up in the newspapers and in the media and all the different uh, controversies around how to uh, actually investigate. Yeah, and that's a big one in Pittsburgh here at the VA. We had some deaths recently, and uh, look forward to talking to Dr. Stahl next week. Um, We'll be back next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio.
has been another IAQ Radio production.